Hey, DER Task Force members. We have our second ever guest on the podcast today, Mary Powell, who is the CEO of our favorite boots on the ground DER's company, Sunrun. Mary's been working in the DER space before DER was even a term. Before Sunrun, Mary led the efforts of Green Mountain Power for over 20 years, which has been an early adopter of new clean technologies at a super forward-thinking utility. We are super excited to have her on the show today. We are always delighted by our optimism for our future fully electrified lifestyles. Colleen will start us off with a quote for today. Without it, I would have been in the dark and cold like everybody else in the neighborhood. Quite a few of the neighbors said, hey, I'm getting one. Like, I'm trading my Jodge or GMC because South Texas with hurricanes and things like that, we're always having power outages. So maybe not the name of the person, but what it, what do you think they might be directionally. talking about? Wait, directionally what they're talking about? Yeah. Oh my word. Well, like they're talking about common sense, like <laughs> directionally, they're talking about the fact that you know, I think what so many people knew so many years ago, right, is that with climate change, you know, we need a distributed future that to give people energy independence and resilience and reliability and warmth and comfort and security. Yeah, totally. So yeah, so that's, I mean, that's, that's directionally correct. So that was uh, Randy Jones from Katy, Texas from about winter storm Yuri. He had a um, yes. hybrid Ford F-150. So I was able to use that for like three days to kind of keep his appliances running. Awesome. A- actual awesome. Sunrun customer or just, just the F-150? Uh, pre, pre the pre. Sunrun integration, pre. but uh, one day yeah. that'll be a Sunrun uh, I know when he jerry-rigged yeah. a hybrid. Yeah. Which again. Yeah. He know, jerry-rigged I, a hybrid. Yep. <laughs> he jerry-rigged a hybrid. So he was, he was way ahead of the bi-directional charger. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So you know, to, to officially kind of launch in to the podcast. So um, we're super excited to be joined by Mary Powell today, who's currently the CEO of Sunrun and was formerly the CEO of Green Mountain Power up in Vermont, along with a number of other accolades that we won't dive into at the moment. We, we wanted to start with just like a couple of kind of high level get to know you questions a bit before we get into the the meat of the discussion. You are the second guest ever. I'm not sure if you saw the Kieran episode, but in what we call the thunder dome. So uh, <laughs> it can get pretty intense in here. You know, I watch out. We may ask some tough questions, but we know we know you're ready for it. But the first and most important is when did you get hooked on durs? Or as we like to call, when did you get derpilled? That's what we're all about. We're out there trying to derp pill as many people as we can. So what, what's your, what's your derp pill story? Oh my goodness. So I, a long, long time ago, I mean, honestly, so I think it's famously known that I turned down the opportunity to go to Green Mountain Power three times, you know, as I like to say, not once, not twice, but apparently three times. And it was all because I, I, you know, it was more because I just didn't see like a utility be as being the place to be from a cultural perspective, from a change the world perspective, et cetera. But, you know, I ended up there and, and again, it became like the reason I always say I didn't know what I didn't know, because it became actually the opportunity of a lifetime. And I will be forever grateful for the opportunity I had to lead transformation from the inside out at Green Mountain Power. Um, But back to your question, I mean, part of what 
I found when I went there that was fascinating to me was, you know, the first thing I did, because I'm a boots on the ground leader, is I got out and about. I went to power plants. I visited with linemen. I sat with the call center. And, you know, I had never really honestly thought a lot about the power system before I jumped into that company. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I thought it was going to be daunting to like learn everything. And again, with all due respect to like, there is a lot of technical stuff. I mean, basically what I was like struck by is I was like, oh my gosh, it's kind of like Fred Flintstone. Like it really fundamentally, <laughs> like I remember like saying that like, oh, okay, like this spins and it goes there and drops yeah. down. Like it wasn't, you know, obviously there's detail and I have deep respect for the engineering that goes into things, right? But like from a system perspective, you know, the again, it's not surprising. It hasn't changed in over a hundred years, right? So back to your question, I I remember like, I think it was, I'd been there maybe six weeks and I went to the then CEO and said like, okay, but like, what are we doing about like the future? Cause like, this can't be like, we're not betting on this same approach, are we for like the future? Like, it just felt like so obvious like th that you know and, and so the sort of first obvious thing you know I remember so I'd be out and about chatting with linemen actually and this lineman that I got to know in Wells River Vermont Andre Bellavance you know he was like oh Mary I agree with you he said in fact I have some friends down in Tennessee that are working on a, a, a magnetic energy they were working on magnetic energy you know and he said They've created like a box the size of an air conditioner that can run your whole house without any fuel source, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, and this was way, but this was like the 1990s. This was late 1990s. So I dragged the CEO and we went with Andre Bellavance to Tennessee. <laughs> we went outside Nashville, Tennessee and met with these guys. They actually were, I mean, it actually is, it is a real thing, right? Magnetic energy. So, you know, and then the CEO was like, yeah, you know, fuel cells are what people were really talking about back then. But, yeah. you know, it's funny because I went to visit some fuel cell location. I was like, I don't know. This kind of feels like a, like, it still feels like grandpa's grid, like conceptually, like, and it just did to me, right? It still felt like, okay, fossil fuel sources, we're going to do it but we're going to do it better. So like, so literally from the like six weeks in way back before 2000, I was obsessed with a more innovative technological solution. And then you pile climate change on top of that. And the fact that like I started in the industry right after the 1998 massive ice storm in the Northeast that again, it didn't just take out power for, you know, a long time for Vermonters. It took down transmission towers from Canada into the United States of America. I mean, that's exhibit like 55. I was going to say exhibit one, but like exhibit 55 <laughs> on climate change and the, and like why this grandpa's grid approach can't be the future of the system. So so I was agitating and and and, yeah. and pushing on that from really the, from from day one. You were like into Durs before Durs were even around. Named. Like like <laughs> dirt, like I think of my yeah. favorite Durs are like lithium ion battery storage, rooftop solar. Like NEM started, I think in two thousand five. Like EVs, yeah. like none of this stuff was even 
around right. and you were already like, okay, there's Out gotta there be looking at magnetic totally. energy. That sounded like a perpetual motion machine. I don't know if it's, but. <laughs> it, it actually is super cool. You can Google it. Like, yeah, it's and I'm still curious to tell you the truth. I'm still curious why it hasn't taken off. Like there is, you know, there you like, basically it's using the energy of magnets you know, in a box. And again, I'm not an engineer, so I'll tap out really fast. <laughs> but, but I did, but I will tell you this, I took like, I took a board member of ours at Green Mountain that was like a Con Ed, you'll appreciate Colleen. He yeah. was like, he came from Con Ed. He was like a dyed in the wool, like old fashioned, like utility engineer. I had him look at it and he told me it was the real deal. So I'm still confused. Like I'm still like, yeah, you're like, why, why don't we all have this now? We gotta, we gotta do some research on that. Yeah. We're gonna get, we're gonna get... pod next. Yeah. yeah. Sounds <laughs> like we have a little, uh, Dur quest to go on. That could be Dur of the month in the newsletter uh, going out magnetic. There energy. you go. There you go. But yeah, so I've been agitating. And again, that's, you know, at Green Mountain, we, we proposed NEM before NEM really. I mean, like once solar got on the radar, I, Remember, I met with Jeff Wolf, who is, I think, pretty well known in the solar industry, you know, again, started a company in Vermont. And, you know, to me, it was like obvious, like, oh, wow, like, how can we leverage this? Like, how can we leverage this across the system? So we, you know, we proposed to our regulators that we pay customers to go solar so that, again, we could leverage it. And then, of course, by the time, like, of course, you're going to hit things like duck curves and that sort of thing. And then, like, that just creates that next amazing wonderful pressure of innovation to say okay how do we solve to that and then you know thank goodness storage devices had come along so we were the first to partner with tesla on getting the power walls into homes and so that's why for me sunrun is like this amazing culmination of all the work i've been doing to now being in a position where i can help accelerate it at scale you're at Green Mountain Power for, for a long time. Just joined Sunrun re recently. What is the last job you ever want to have? Is this like, is this it for you? Like leading Sunrun? Are, do we get to vote for you for president one day or something? Like what's the... You're talking to me like I'm 90. I don't know. No, no, no. I asked Kieran, we asked Kieran the same thing. Like, what are you, you know? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know, one thing, no, I'm just kidding. I mean, I literally, I've called myself the accidental executive because literally I've done... Now I've done everything like that I never ever imagined. I was I was never one of those people that said, "Oh, I want to do this by this age or like accomplish this." Like I'm somebody that gets dropped in situations and I like to create value for society. One of the things I dropped into so many years ago before Green Mountain was actually state service. Like I worked with three governors in three and a half years in the state of Vermont. The last one was Howard Dean and like it really got deep in my DNA of like the really cool feeling of making a difference. So like in terms of what I want to do, like I just want to, you know, be a contributing member to society. Like I just want to like, so wherever that, wherever that takes me, you know, this, this feels like an amazing opportunity to be a contributing member of society here at Sunrun. So I'll be doing this for, you know, as long as they'll have me, I'm sure. Love that. That is a good segue into kind of the next question, which is just like, I, I, it's funny, you know, I've, I've, we, we all listen to like a bunch of your podcasts and stuff kind of going into this, but because it's fairly recent, I haven't really heard you talk about what is kind of the vision and mandate of you joining Sunrun, like, you know, why you got hired or why you took the job, like, what is the kind of the, the big, like next few year vision in, in starting there? 
Yeah, so again, like it's just incredible to have had this opportunity to step into Sunrun and I long admired Lynn. And as you know, I started working with the company a number of years ago. Um, and I guess, you know, unbeknownst to me, I think Lynn all apparently had it in her head that I would be a great successor. So, <laughs> so she, nice. she didn't tell me that way back when, but you know, again, She's we, grooming you know, you. We were, yeah, we were both like, we were both working at solving the problem together, like the same way, you know, it's, it was like comical. Cause like, as we were being the first in Vermont to really utilize storage as a virtual power plant, Lynn and the Sunrun team were doing the same thing. Right. So, you know, for me, it was like, kind of like one of those Jerry Maguire movie moments of like, you had me at hello, but you know what I mean? Like she, like when she talked to me about it, just she's amazing. Ed's incredible. This team is, is awesome. So it just was, it felt like the perfect next thing for me to do. And again, I'm like super passionate as I think you guys know about climate change and it feels amazing to be back on the front lines, you know, combating climate change. And so relative to like, our role and what we can do. I mean, as I, as I like to say, like, it is about accelerating. Like I've always viewed, in fact, that's why I sort of felt like for me, I knew it was time for me to move on from where I was because the lack of ability to scale as fast as I wanted to was just brutally apparent at Green Mountain Power in Vermont. Like it was, yes, we were seen as this amazing example and it used to frustrate me because I was like, you know what? We shouldn't be an amazing example with only 3000 storage customers. Like we should be an amazing example when it's like 200,000, right? So, so there's just limits in that world that we're starting to really grate on my yeah. passion around acceleration and really moving fast to combat climate change. So. Like I just knew because I was just too frustrated, right? So when this came, it's like perfect because yes, we're the nation's leader, but you know, and yes, we're bumping up close to 700,000 customers and you know, the, the amount of change we can drive is intense. And so that's really, it felt like I needed a place where together we could scale like super fast, like really accelerate this customer led revolution. And that's, I've always felt like I've also, you didn't ask me like when I first, you know, really was aware of the need around climate change and sustainability. That was way before my obsession with DERS, right? So that goes back to like being six years old in New York City. And just, I remember looking out the window of our Buick in the family Buick with my mom and seeing all the intensity of people and consumption and just being like, I remember asking her like a super heavy question, like, how does this all work? <laughs> and I don't remember the answer, but it didn't give me comfort. Like it didn't, it didn't give me comfort. So I've kind of always naturally been focused on sustainability and then, you know, getting the data way back in the mid nineties on what was happening with the climate, you know, super passionate. And I've always felt like, gosh, the power we need to like tap into is the most powerful force on the planet, which, which is kind of what got us in, in, in a tough spot, which is consumerism. But I've always seen it as the path to getting us out of it. Like I've always seen like, how do we tap into that tipping point to create the path out yeah. and a path to a more sustainable future? So very long answer. <laughs> basically I'm getting there. I promise you I'm getting there. You know, really ultimately it's like becoming not just the nation's leader in the context of like bringing solar and storage into homes, 
but the nation's leader in being that beloved trusted partner of customers so that as we accelerate this tipping point, we're there with, to help them thinking about whole home energy transformation yeah. to be there for them in the context of like smart information about your systems. It's why we like partnered with SPAN for instance, right? So that we're giving really sophisticated information aggregation. And then of course, also, I will always be driving that push towards getting to a more affordable, sustainable grid for all by really agitating around radical collaboration. And that's that's why I call it radical. And people sometimes get surprised because I agitate. It's like, no, 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 that's what radical <laughs> collaboration looks like. <laughs> well, so so speaking of, of scale and moving quickly and having a really big vision, I think for our first sort of like deep dive topic here, we want to talk about electrification. I think for companies like Sunrun and for, for David Energy and Scale as well, even, we don't really think about how enormous of a tailwind electrification will be, right? We're talking about transitioning mm -hmm. almost all energy usage into, into electricity. It's like it will become yep. the most important global commodity, the underlying sort of backbone of all economic activity. It's, it's huge. And interestingly, companies like like all of ours, like we always think of us as sort of energy transition or climate change companies, but this electrification thing, I think is, is really going to change our out, all of our, our outlooks because we'll, we'll just be in this period of, of huge growth. And when it comes to electrification, I think all of us here were super excited when we saw the electric F-150 mm -hmm. partnership with Sunrun. And we actually, shortly after it was announced, had, I'm going to butcher his last name, but Chris Rocher, I believe. Yeah. Of, of your Rocher. Team. Yeah. He, he did an event with us and told us all about it. And it was super cool. So I think we kind of want to start there. Like what, where does Sunrun fall into the whole electrification landscape? I mean, partnering with mm -hmm. EV companies to provide some of that infrastructure. I don't know. What, what do you see there? Because yeah. to me, it so seems huge. like there's a huge opportunity. Yeah. So first of all, I mean, like back to radical collaboration and opportunity, like you are so right. The solution is electrification. And that's like on days that I get super excited, like we can solve this, we can nail this. It's like technologies exist. The solution is electrification, right? And that also is what is so frustrating candidly when I don't see folks moving faster towards radical collaboration, because like this is a problem of abundance and like to get to that future, we need to create like incredible increased demand for electricity, right? So again, you know, just to hammer it, like on the utility side, the most frustrating thing to me is still when they consider like solar resources, for instance, as a threat, like, right? They see it as like load loss. Like I had a CEO, <laughs> a, like a utility CEO told me, well, we get, you know, it's presented as load loss. Like what, oh my word, like, is that not ancient thinking when you think about the like electrification we need to be doing of society and the need we have for as many resources as possible that also are renewable. So yeah, so how we think of, of what we're doing, you know, 100%. So the F-150 partnership is super powerful because again, what I've always wanted to do, and you probably saw this in my work way back at Green Mountain, if you saw the article Bill McKibben wrote about us in the New Yorker, but it was, you know, way back, oh my gosh, in like the mid 2000s, right? I was already working on whole home transformation. So the idea is like, 
how from a customer perspective, because again, if we're going to lead a customer-led revolution, it's got to be because we figured out how to deliver this in a way for customers that feels so good. It's easy to access. We make transformation easy for them. And then we give them like all these cool ways to finance it and leverage it. Like, and one of the things that was so attractive to me about Sunrun was they pioneered making going solar financially accessible to, to all. In fact, I'm sure you're aware of this, but like, it's a stunning statistic. Like a third of our customers now fall in the, in the 50 to $100,000 of income range versus way back in 2010, I think, the average customer that went solar was at an average income of like 138,000, right? So it's also about like, how do we make this easy, accessible, fun, incredible experience. So we, over time, want to continue in that being that beloved, trusted partner of, again, these aren't terms you would use with a customer, because like, I don't think it's exciting to say to a customer, we want to be a strategic, beloved partner of strategic <laughs> electrification. Like, that's, that's probably not going to make The focus group didn't like so, that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, from, so from a brand perspective, we're working on like, but it's really about helping customers become energy independent, resilient, have their homes be more affordable, have their transportation be more affordable, right? And so wrap it all together in like one easy way to access it from a financial perspective and then really amazing ways to leverage it from a data perspective. So curious, like your partnership with Span and with the Ford 150 and then doing solar and storage, like do you see Sunrun moving towards that like full electrification offering where you're also, you know, say providing heat pumps and induction stoves, like, or magnet generators? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I definitely, I, I definitely see us as again, in that beloved trusted partner space with customers. And so again, is it, you know, as you know, there's a lot of ways to, help them, again, accelerate electrification that makes sense in their homes. So does it mean that we have to actually be providing the heat pumps or does it mean that we actually have to be providing, you know, even in a lot of homes like weatherization is a, is a really important thing, right? So does it mean we need to be providing all of that or does it mean that we need, that we wanna be the gateway to all of that? You know, so again, we're looking at all sorts of partnerships but for sure, we want to be that platform, that avenue into all of that. And then really the ones to, you know, at the end of the day, really own that relationship in the context of really being America's clean energy company, like being seen as the go-to resource, that, that trusted partner. And then, you know, wherever possible, aggregating that data, leveraging it from a grid perspective, sharing that value back with customers. So, so again, it's very intuitive and obvious that we want to be in the EV space and the EV charger space as evidenced by our partnership with Ford. You know, we very much are going to go even deeper in the storage space. We are absolutely going deeper in the smart home, all things connected space. Because again, I think as a very early adopter of solar, right, however, 14 years ago, it, you know, basically you got it and then you just looked at it occasionally, right? It had nothing to do with like your life or how you thought about energy, right? Versus now where I have solar storage, a span, 
that's like this huge leap forward. And I have my EVs connected to it as well. So again, it's like loading all of those things and being that beloved trusted partner and then leveraging all of those DERS for, for the grid. Totally. I mean, to, to highlight a point you made earlier, I think it's rooftop solar itself is such an accelerant for electrification. I think people tend to forget that, you know, heat pump economics aren't necessarily a slam dunk yet. In some Mm -hmm. cases they are some, you know, if you're on oil, heat or propane, awesome. If you're on natural gas, uh, it's, it's, it's harder. I'm not going to say it's bad, but it's hard. And Gas lowering, is going up for now. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but, but lowering, lowering your cost of electricity, which you can yep. really only do behind the meter is, yep. I mean, is huge it is, that, it is. that in I mean, itself. Yeah. You're so right, Duncan. And that's, I mean, I, I find myself saying it, I feel like every week here in California, as we're navigating, you know, some really odd policy events, <laughs> put it that way but it's it's really it's exactly what we saw in vermont like solar is the gateway drug to strategic like those are the first customers to get evs they're the first customers to get heat pumps and in fact in many cases as you guys know you can't you actually can't meet all of that load in many houses with what you can put on your roof and so again you know what i've tried to say all the time and i'll keep saying to the utilities is like that's the power of working with us like that's the power, like we then help create that smart, yeah. controllable load of the future. Because again, you know, picture it like we have that ability to then aggregate and control that load because a lot of times you can't meet all that load just with the solar. So again, yep. it is, yeah. but you're absolutely right. It's those customers that tend to be the first adopters of all the other technologies that we need. I I wanted to go back a little bit to something you said, like on the radical collaboration front. And I actually love how consistent your messaging was like when you were doing podcasts at Green Mountain Power, it was about the consumer led revolution. It still is. So like nothing's changed there. And I love that. Like you're like Sunrun just lets me do that faster, but even kind of implicit in that answer is like, you know, Sunrun does want to move faster, get as many F-150 lightning chargers in as many homes as possible but putting on your kind of GMP or utility hat is obviously there's like analyses on the distribution grid, like electrification, how fast the private set, you know, or everyone wants to move is somewhat antithetical to like the utility's ability to move or like how scary electrification, I guess, could be for utilities. So, you know, in, in the fact that you've really led the charge at one of the most forward thinking utilities. So not all of them are that forward thinking. And now you're doing it at Sunrun. Like how concerned are you? Or like, what is there a tension there between how fast we need to deploy and how fast the utilities want to deploy or even what their incentive structures are like that whole kind of gnarly problem of like, we still need to build a lot of distribution grid to get electrification done. And that that's, something utilities may have a tough time with. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I mean, utilities are definitely leveraging this tidal wave, like, right? They're, they're definitely leveraging what's happening in the climate, you know, from like, again, when I used to go to CEO meetings and there was just nobody. In fact, I was told when I went to my first CEO meeting, I was told by somebody like, Mary, whatever you do, I just really strongly advise you not to use the word climate change because you will just immediately be dismissed. Like you will, you know, and again, you're like, even though I grew up in Manhattan and started my career there, it's like, I'm 
from Vermont, right? You know, so they already look at you as a hayseed. And then if you use terms like that, like you'll be totally discounted. So, yeah. and it was true. And I still did. And I, I didn't care. <laughs> so I, I, just, I was like, well, I just stunk at the garden party because it's like, it, and, and part of like what was cool about being an outlier because I wasn't an engineer, I wasn't a lawyer and I was a woman. Like it actually gave me great freedom to just be an outlier because I wasn't going to fit in no matter what I did. So I kind of was like, yeah, whatever. I'm not going for it. Yeah. Right. Like just go for it. Just be. Yeah. So, so like what has happened is they've woken up to the fact that there's a lot of money for them to make. And I, and I, that's the brutal fact is that's the key driver. And again, there's some awesome noted, you know, outliers, but, but I would say the, the majority of the pack now just sees huge opportunity to build out the transmission system faster than ever before, huge opportunity to build out the distribution system, right? I'm still not enough thinking at all about like radical collaboration and leveraging. Of yeah. Like it just like, it's really, and again, in fairness, it's a system that's built for that outcome. You know what I mean? It's like, I always like to say like, 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 yeah, do you ever meet bad actors in life? Of course, occasionally, but most people and organizations are a product of the system in which they've been structured in. Right. And so it is a system that is structured in a way to produce the kind of result that we're seeing. Yeah. And so again, one of the things I love that we did in Vermont was we were a part of like Team Vermont in creating like very different legislation, uh, you know, that really incented utilities for innovation, incented utilities to dramatically lower carbon through a, from like a very broad lens, you know, but that isn't the norm. So. So back to like my orientation now, like my orientation now is okay. Like I felt like I went as far as I could there and the system isn't built for speed. The system isn't built for scale of anything new or different in the utility space. So basically my, my optimism now is in the space I'm in, like as we scale this thing really fast, right? What will happen? And as we build that skill around how to aggregate so that the grid can use the resources we're building throughout the country. Like what I'm really counting on, and I think we are gonna see. So Mary Powell predicts that <laughs> at least within, within I, I don't wanna be overly ambitious here, but I would say within like three to five years, we flipped the paradigm. And instead of the solar companies begging the utilities to partner, we flip that sucker right around. Love that. And all of a sudden, <laughs> like they're like when, you know what I mean? Like when we have yeah. literally like hundreds of thousands of resources that can be utilized, right? Whether it's through the, the you know, all of the different like electrification, you know, assets that we can bring to the grid as an industry and as a player in that industry, like that is like, so I want it. So we're going to keep playing with anybody who wants to play to prove that, that, you know, that there's this amazing path that's better for everyone. Yeah. But that's, that's what I predict. I mean, relative to like how I actually think about the system, like what we actually were trying to do in Vermont. And I think that it's an amazing team and I'm sure they're doing even better now that I'm gone. But like, you know, it was really about how do we use DERS? Like, how do we get away from this talk of beat the peak like, how do we be able to, to have a lot more strategic electrification on the system, but basically flatten yeah. the peak? Like, so there is no peak. There is no, right? So it was all about, like, becoming the symphony orchestrator of, like, all these devices out there 
the bulk ones, the bulk system ones that you need as well, and then having just enough of the traditional T&D investments so that, again, you're orchestrating it all in a way that's, that's better for society and gets the grid that is not built for economic efficiency. I mean, the grid, I think the number, last numbers I heard are like, whatever, 42% economically efficient grid. Like, even if you got that to like 60%, imagine how much more affordable you can make the whole system. Yeah. To, to follow up on one of those things, like with regard to how DERS can help avoid, or I don't like to say avoid, I like to say optimize T and D infrastructure investment, right? So no, they for, can avoid too. Yeah, okay. I, they can. You yeah. can say that. Okay, Duncan, cool. you got to be an agitator, man. We're learning yeah. from Mary. Just say it, even yes. if you're. Um, so, you know what we're talking about? Like people have talked about non-wires alternatives forever, right? And there's been a, mm -hmm. a bunch of pilots. I don't know what's happened with them. I don't think anyone really knows. And you know, I see this repeated sort of issue where there's. There's a study done, a consultant's hired, they look at the problem sort of very narrowly and say, okay, here's like one way it might work somewhere and everybody forgets about it, right? What has to happen for non-wires alternatives, which is a phrase I want to get rid of. I'm just going to call them virtual, yeah. virtual wires. What has to happen for virtual <laughs> wires to like actually become a thing so that when there's a need for a, you know, upgraded substation, the, the PUC or maybe in the future, the distributed system operator or whatever it is, is says utilities, what can you build it for? And then says DERS market, what can you build it for? Mm. It's like actually something that happens every single time rather than just like getting sort of like a special handout from the PUC and then it never happens again. What, where, how do we right, get there? Right, right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, like what really would have to happen is like a culture change and that's you know and that's that's fundamentally you know why i started at green mountain with our culture because culture eats strategy and cultures like that's how you innovate like so again back to that point that was when we set out to make rutland the solar capital of you know the capital of solar generation in new england which we achieved it was also to prove it could be a non-transmission alternative because there was a proposed transmission project so it was like no how like, how can we do that? But again, it comes with will, it comes with culture, it comes with a lot of things that, you know, candidly, I haven't seen a lot of progress, right? And because also like regulators, to your point, are a huge part of this, part of this challenge, part of this opportunity. And I, like, I just don't know that we're going to see the culture change we need to see definitely in the time we need it for the planet. So that's why, again, Duncan, like my view is, okay, let's flip it and reverse it. Like, let's, like let's, again, it's it's why I have talked about customer-led revolution forever, right? Because, and now yeah. I'm actually seeing signs it's starting to happen because just like what happened, like if you think of it, I know it's not a perfectly apt analogy, but, and others have used it, but like to me, when I first went to this business, I did also think about like the landline business versus cell phones, right? Like everything really changed when customers were like, eh, like, this is what I want to do. Then all of a sudden regulators, politicians, yeah. like everything lines up behind because customers, customers are voters, customers, mm -hmm. like, like they're everything, right? So, yeah. so, so you're saying rather than kind of academically figuring out the perfect <laughs> oh. structure, just, <laughs> well, just change but, the power structure. Just get it yeah. built. Make it so because, they have to like, listen to Honestly, it. like, yeah. you know, 
like one of the first books, like I got, like at this place I started in New York City, I love these two co-founders of, they co-founded like the whole money market industry. They were the first guys I worked for. And like, I'll never forget that one of the co-founders like threw this little yellow book on my desk one day and he, it, I was like, oh, what's this? It was, I, I recall it was yellow and I recall that it was called How to Lie with Statistics. And he said, <laughs> he, said Mary, he said, Mary, the most important thing you need to learn is to distrust. And he said, and the more analysis there is behind it, the more you need to distrust. He basically trained me that like, you know, and they, they revolutionized the financial markets, right? Because they came up with the money market concept, actually. It was yeah. all like, there was no place for customers to go before that. Customers just had banks until they really like, you know, drove this. And that really is something like that is, I find dysfunctionally fascinating about this, <laughs> about this business. Is it's almost like the more they dive in, the further they fall in the hole. This is not, we are not yeah. going to analyze our way out of this problem. So I think what I'm more, more worried about is like, I could see that switch happening, like, especially thinking of like the financial incentive of the utility. They're like, oh, wow. Electrification. Like I can build more stuff and rate base yep. that, right? Like I can see that happening. I am, part of me is concerned that we do have to, you know, if you just look at like heat pumps and EVs, it's going to like. 1.75 to 2x like how much like grid we need on the distribution grid chris clack has some great like stuff on that i don't know what the actual numbers are but it's a lot more like infrastructure we need to build do you think like the rate-based model can carry us through electrification because part of me is concerned that you know the customers that are getting the you know upgrades for their EVs and everything like that are like it can shift costs onto other customers and like there may be problems mm -hmm. in and how well, that that model yeah, actually works and scaling the grid that rapidly. Yeah. No. So so yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, so my point was that like I actually worry about the same thing you're talking about, which is if you just take a traditional approach, right? You're just gonna build more of the traditional approach, yeah. which doesn't leverage all these assets. It just, again, back to like the reason it's economically not efficient, right? It's because by definition, it has to be dramatically overbuilt to ensure that it can provide the level of supply on the hottest day of right. the hottest year of the hottest 10 years, right? Plus, plus 20% so that you don't have to have brownouts and blackouts, right? So, so fundamentally, the real shift that has to happen is the piece about how to leverage this, right? So that it isn't just this one-way relationship and it's a two-way relationship. So again, that's how we used to imagine and work towards the flattening of, you know, of basically the energy system is like, then you're making any rate-based investments, right? You're, you're paying for those in a really economical way for consumers. So yes, I do worry about that. I'm not, I'm not, I've never been bullish on like changing the model. I mean, and, you know, interestingly enough, maybe because I worked in a fully integrated state, but I actually also feel like that deregulation, like it didn't really pan out. It's just like, I worry like the amount of time and energy to get it right. And by definition, you're always two years behind because anything you do in this space in the utility side of it, of energy, takes so long that by the time you deliver the solution, the problem you were trying to solve has already changed. 
so so I'm like I'm more into like no 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 just leave it alone like that's like, that's not where the problem is it's more like let's you know if I were a regulator like I would just like let's just like figure out how to keep the pressure on around innovation and radical collaboration that would be my mantra yeah and then supporting risk taking of the utilities, because that's like, we couldn't have done what we did in Vermont if it weren't for the broader Vermont ecosystem, right? And so it takes courageous regulators, it takes like leader, you know, it takes that, that, that radical collaboration means that people have to be willing to take some risk. Yeah, fewer consultants, more just like doing things. Well, that's like, what are yeah. the models and what's the incentives and everything? Like, yeah. just go, just go do it. Like rally regulators, yeah. rally utility people, yeah. private yeah. No, I mean, get everyone like, like yeah. working for governors. Like I saw that, like, you know, early in my career, it's like you could have teams and steering committees and task force, or you can just get the like 10 key people in a room and say, guess what? You're not leaving until you figure this out. Like, <laughs> you know, it's there, there's, we need a, a lot more of that. And again, I, I don't mean to be over pivoting on like, you know, obviously some analysis is needed, obviously, right? But but this is a space where you can get lost for not days and months, but years in that, mm-hmm. right? Trying to yeah. get it perfect that you miss the opportunity for yeah. great progress. Yeah, totally. I think to like switch gears a little bit um, or a lot, you know, there's... <laughs> talking about energy independence, you know, I think there's been a lot of macro trends in the past six months between what's been going on with, with Russia and Ukraine, the sort of supply chain issues sort of coming off of COVID and just a lot of this like question around like how interconnectedness of energy supply chains can sort of create potential weaknesses and, and risks to achieving our, our goals of, of moving quickly and this kind of like need to this sort of benefit that energy independence can bring. And so I guess like sort of one of the questions we have for you here, and then obviously actually the, the last one is the oxen solar trade case, of course, like how do you, you view like these macro trends sort of shaping up the importance of energy independence here? And like, how is Sunrun thinking about this? I mean, from our perspective, you know, again, I think the numbers we see in the context of interest in our company, interest in what we're doing, you know, are continuing to trend up. I feel like the macro trends, like certainly the war in Ukraine, you know, those, you know, certainly climatic events, those all drive, they accelerate that customer-led revolution for sure. I mean, without a shadow of a doubt. At the same time, you know, there's always things that are happening that, you know, feel very frustrating to me, you know, because again, from, from my perspective, this is one of the greatest threats to humanity. We have the technologies to solve it and we need to be moving faster. So relative to the commerce investigation as an example, right? It's like, okay, what a crazy world we live in like that that's that's kind of like why like this is the time we need to be you know moving a lot faster i'm i'm i don't want to say torn because i think that this uh this whole tariffs thing is is kind of insane but i do think there's like latent in american culture a desire to make stuff 
And, you know, especially now that energy is moving toward technology rather than extraction, it seems like it could be culturally and politically salient for a big push to make our own stuff. Right. But obviously we have to figure out how to do that in a way that's like productive, right? Tariffs don't Mm -hmm. appear to be, I think kind of all analysis shows they've, they're not effective. I, I wonder what we could do though, to, you know, increase, you know, domestic module manufacturing, battery production, all this stuff we need a ton of. It just feels, it feels like a missed opportunity. We, we just mm-hmm. haven't really dealt with this, this question yet. I don't know if you have any thoughts there, but. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's funny. Cause I, I do, and I agree with you directionally, like, yes. Wouldn't that be great. Right. Like at a high level, like what's not to like. <laughs> Right. You know, and then there's another part of me that feels like, I mean, we just need to acknowledge again from like a cultural perspective, a structure perspective, like that ship started to sail a long time ago in the US relative to manufacturing. Right. So again, we just we're not talking as like political leaders here, right? We're not. We're in like we're an industry trying to make the changes that we can make. And so I am, I've always been like a brutal facts leader. Like I believe in like the way you get from good to great, the way you accelerate is to like face the brutal facts with like optimism, can do spirit, do what you can, get it done fast. And so I will say that from my perspective, you know, you're swimming upstream a little bit, trying to cut, right? And, and I also feel like, yeah, the way to like, if we're trying to accelerate a whole space and then we're saying, oh, and we'd like more of that in our country, right? And we'd like more of that made in our country. The way I'm wired is more like, eh, you're probably gonna get there a lot faster. A, you don't do something that now is depressing the whole industry, like this investigation, right? Mm-hmm. And you probably do that with like two really powerful levers. One is incentives and the other is screaming loud and proud about examples of that. Like, I, I feel like those are the two most powerful levers I've seen work. You know, so again, yes, it would be nice to see, you know, more. And I think the way we're going about it, again, keep this, keep it growing and then figure out ways to, to you know, to attract and promote and, mm-hmm. you know, really create, like leverage that sense of competition amongst people in the space to sort of say, oh, well, geez, if they figured out how to do it, like, how can we do it, right? I feel like that's a, a much more powerful approach. It turns out we're actually pretty decent at this too. I mean, like, look at Tesla, they received a DOE loan guarantee. Yep. Um, now that program's back and providing loan guarantees to like battery startup, uh, you know. Yeah, ba- they just haven't added startups. solar to that yet. I'm, yeah, I'm just yeah. hoping it hasn't been announced yet, you know, like it's in the works, <laughs> but. Um, Right. Like, I, I think we can really do this. And yeah, in a way that doesn't slow things down, but actually like really fortifies it. Anyway, I'll, I'll let us move on. This is like kind of my, the horse I've been beating but to for your a while. Point, I mean, but to your point, like that is a great example. And then again, like there is, there is some really good stuff happening there. And so again, if like, it, I, I'm just somebody that's wired sort of like you get places a lot faster through the positive. So imagine all this emotional and intellectual energy that's going to talking about the bad that's happening. Like, talking about those things and then accelerating that kind of adoption, I think is, is very possible. Something it does kind of dovetail into is, you know, just like the overarching concept of resilience, which I do love. I've heard you talk about it a lot. And also just looking at Sunrun's website, like a lot of solar companies don't talk about this. I think the Mm -hmm. Ford F-150 did a great job of it as well, but like 
yeah, solar and storage makes you kind of be able to not lose power ever. You know, it's kind of your, he's in your own hands just from your kind of perspective in, you know, whether it's at GMP or at, at, at Sunrun, I've always viewed resilience as like DER's killer app. Like that, that is good. That is kind of the main driver (laughs) underlying, like, but a lot of people talk about costs. They talk about sustainability. Like it's actually kind of like still an under valued point and marketing, I think, or, or even just the broader conversation, like that is the core value prop to me. Like, do you feel the same way? Or do you like, when you look at the numbers at Sunrun, or is it like, we got to push the resilience messaging or, or what, you know, what is your perspective on what like the core value prop of adoption is for a lot of this stuff? 100%. I, I, I 100%. In fact, one of the things I was so struck by, it was actually at a CEO, utility CEO meeting, and they had this like national pollster present data on how Americans felt about energy. And it was so fascinating because not only did solar pull the best across America, across all party lines, but it was so fascinating to see the reasons why. And to your point, Mm -hmm. actually huge, huge, particularly I would say in independence, Republicans was energy independence. It was like the feeling of being independent, like not even, not even like that they had to have storage to literally be independent, but the feeling of independence that creating their own energy gave them, like that is huge. Like that is a huge, so yes, actually it's funny you asked me this question because we just, like just this week, I was in conversations with our team, like, we are, we are looking at, again, as, as this, like the only way to accelerate the customer-led revolution is to be sure, you know, you're talking in ways that are meaningful and impactful for customers. And, and I do, I feel like I actually have always felt like the industry as a whole, like did a, kind of a disservice of like just talking about savings. Cause I feel like that's, that yep. is missing what emotionally moves so many yep. Americans, you know, and yes, there's a percent that it's about sustainability or climate, but a lot of people, to your point, a lot of people, it's about energy independence. It's about stability. It's about like, hey, whatever it costs. Like I've had customers say that to me, "Ah, whatever it costs, like I know that's what it's going to cost. Like I don't have to worry that a year later, somebody's going to tell me, well, the sun decided to raise its prices like right, like, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. there's an intergalactic rate case and yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> no but I, you know so so it's just so that is like so powerful like it's so and then when they think of like same thing like with their vehicle like oh my gosh it's the sun the sun's not raising its price like yeah i don't have to right. worry every week if i'm charging that way so it's yep. it is really powerful yeah. And I, th- I think what Duncan and Colleen before me, and I'm kind of getting at here is like, you know, I, I understand that, yeah, manufacturing in the U S is tough. Like that's, that's sort of, we're very downstream of that problem, which has been going on for a long time. But if you, in our view, like something we've started pushing a lot is when you take like that independence at home, like, you know, if Russia invades Ukraine and gas prices go crazy, like you have solar on your roof, the charging your car, mm-hmm. you're fine. So that, that independence, but then also the like, you know, made in America type, like we make our mm-hmm. solar panels here or whatever. If you take those two things, like I, I, I mean, 90% of Americans are going to agree with like the whole kind of 
consumer-led energy climate change mm-hmm. revolution that that you've been um, beating that drum for a long time. So that that's like our perspective and what we always mm-hmm. like to put out there. But mm-hmm. I am curious, you can just accept that answer and agree, but what is the, almost like if you, if you could put out like a political platform or narrative, like what would be the dominant, like how do we rally everyone around this? You know, is there something missing in that arena or like what, what can we do better on that? Almost like narrative, let's get everyone on board and, and getting this accelerating as fast as we can, like, like we have to. Yeah, I think, I mean, I feel like the, the huge, so you're talking about like basically the narrative to get everybody on board with accelerating adoption of drugs. Yeah, and, and we yeah. would say like resilience at home and also like, you know, manufacturing at home well, is great too, if we could get that in, but like, what, yeah. what would it be if in, in your case? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so again, I feel like, I, I feel like I have to say like, of course, like I, I want our country to be successful. I want where manufacturing makes sense in our country. Like, yes, wonderful. I will say that I think with the mass, like majority of customers, okay, for better or for worse, they have come to accept that like every device they use, every part of their, right? Like it's, yeah, a, yeah, it's yeah. a global economy. Like, yeah, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. So for me, the piece I much more focus on is like, for me, the other thing that like really accelerated me on this topic is just, it's heartbreaking seeing people in the context of climatic events, right? That are happening all over the country all the time, right? And now you're seeing like in California, we have a problem with like the grid itself is setting communities on fire, right? So to me, it is that simple, it's still the That's strongest. What I try to say all yeah. the time is that simple, profound truth. Like the simple, profound truth is we can move to a cleaner, more affordable, more resilient grid for all by embracing radical adoption of. I love that. It's like, Mary, don't talk about climate change. You're like, no, I'm going to talk about climate change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, so to me, that is, that's the rallying cry. Like, again, if we could get, you know, more folks into the art of the possible, you know, because again, I always said like a big part of what we accomplished at at Green Mountain was because we, we created a culture of how do we get to yes? Like getting to no is so easy, you guys. Like, have you ever thought about that? If I say to you, I have an idea, right? it takes about two seconds of energy to come up with 10 things to say about what is bad about an idea, right? Mm-hmm. It takes, like, it's like creating a culture of yes, a culture of, like, not every idea is a great idea, right? But, but, <laughs> but creating a, At least creating entertaining a culture it. of yes, like a culture of like, we can do this, we're going to do this together, we're going to, you know, it's like someone on board are doing the bi-directional, right? It's like, how does this, work? and then the fact that, you know, Ford really wanted to make sure that as many F-150 Lightning customers did have solar as possible, right? So it's also creating that that ecosystem, that collaboration that really works, that is so powerful. So on that, let's say, Mary, you wake up tomorrow, you're the energy czar of America. (laughs) You only have like six months of being energy czar, so you can really only do one thing. What policy do you pick? No opposition. Like you, it's it it's gonna get through. Like yeah, there's no. Full power of yes. Full yeah. power of yes here. <laughs> like, so when you say one, th- I mean, because again, I feel like I've teed this up, like exactly what I would do, right? Is like, 
You're like, I wouldn't do anything different. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing it. I love that. (laughs) I'm already the energy czar of America. (laughs) (laughs) No, I meant like as the energy czar, I would like of America, like to me, it is like in six months time, it's like, just how do you radically accelerate adoption of EVs? Like all things electrification and incent distributed devices and have your boot on the neck of utilities to figure out how to make it work cost effectively. Like that's <laughs> like, to me, that's, you know, because that also has the virtuous like benefit then of helping to solve to the fossil challenges, right? It's a consumer oriented way to. So yeah. you would, you would do like the Oprah, like you get an EV, you get an <laughs> EV. <laughs> Well, That's I mean, great. honestly, like along those lines, like honestly, like as an example, back to like utilities worry, they have this legitimate, like their whole cost shift thing that's outdated, right? It's outdated is like, if people just go solar only, oh my gosh, right? They're not paying as much for the grid, right? Instead of thinking, well, no, if I like ensure that every single customer that wants to go solar gets an additional incentive to go EV. Like that's what we did in Vermont. So again, that's why we drove up adoption, right? So again, we wanted an affordable grid for all. We, we didn't just want everybody to have DERS and have a grid that's super expensive and not accessible, right? So it was, how do we package? So no, as the energy czar, I wouldn't do Oprah and give away EVs, but I would, what I would do is I would, I would push the, the math of the utilities to say, hey, every like, 3000 bucks you incent, you're creating demand for the system that's going to help create revenue that's going to help pay for the grid and then pushing smart electrification so you have as many controllable devices out there as possible. But I might want to give away a couple EVs. (laughs) 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 Or or F-150s. Yeah, yeah, there you go. (laughs) Something that struck me about, yeah, your refrain of like consumer-led revolution or customer-led revolution in the context of, you know, this energy czar sort of prompt is like how compelling that actually is. Like there's, there's two ways this could go. There's like the sort of like very academic behind the scenes, like, you know, work the government way and we're going to like install some transmission. You're not even going to know about it that kind of way. Or there's, we're going to make your house awesome. Like (laughs) that's really compelling. Like that's extremely compelling. Yeah. like how that, and that I think is how you get like everyone to just be super interested in this, right? That's, yep. it's just, it's, it's, it's a, I don't know. That's the way you speak about this stuff really made that clear to me today. That's cool. We're moving, moving into the end of the episode, Mary, and we're super excited for you to be here for our uh, dope or nope hot takes. So basically we're going to lead out, we're going to read out a few items and we're going to ask you to tell us if you think they are dope or nope you can tell us if you you can give context if you want you can just leave it as is if you don't want okay um so the first one wait do you understand is, the rules because nope yeah, that, well i think yeah, nope dope, just dope, means not dope, dope would be good dope would mean nope. you love it it's a good thing and nope right. would be you could do without it yes or maybe you just yeah. don't love it dope is i love it nope is i don't yeah. Yes. This yeah. comes from our, our, uh, our microgrids are dope sweaters. I don't know if you've seen those. <laughs> those I think around, I, but... yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're running um, with it. We're running with it. Cool. So, um, so the first one would be germs. 
okay, dope. <laughs> Come on, you guys. You're not say dope. We I'm gave like, you a soft, we were just checking. Yeah, you know, exactly. that's like, I was like, is yeah. this a trick question? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. What about distribution utilities? So like like distributed system operator kind of thing. Oh, there isn't like a third category, which is like, we need them and I want them to be dope, but right now they're nope. <laughs> that's, that's perfect. The we'll take that. We'll that's take perfect. That. that works. I really want some dope ones. There are a couple. <laughs> I love that. Um, I love that. What about um, Oxen Solar Trade Case? Oh, nope. I think we know that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was a softball. Okay. Small modular nuclear. SMRs. Hmm. SMRs, yeah. So, hmm. You know, I always, I, I actually was known for like being, like I always felt like we should leverage whatever nuclear we had. Like just because the planet's on fire and if it's safe, we should keep it going as long as it can it can go. Like that was always the camp I was in. Yeah. In the context of new stuff coming online, I guess, like, I feel like if what I read actually could happen, it might be dope. I, and I feel like what, but my cynicism is it actually ends up at a nope. Yeah. <laughs> Fascinating. This is like the first, Mary, I feel like this is the first like cynical take you've had in this. <laughs> <laughs> I thought with the power of yes, you have to say dope yeah. to everything. Just yes, oh, yes, yeah. yes. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Um, that wrap, I think that we have. Up. Oh, that was the last one. I was ready for another dope. I, was like, <laughs> I think we have one or two more. You got any other, uh, Colleen? <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, no, I know. I'm still thinking about that one on nuclear. I mean, again, it's, it, you know, it, it could be a real dope solution. It's just, you know, where I keep coming. I, I, I always you know, I love Gina McCarthy. I don't know if you guys have gotten a chance to listen to her or talk to her, but you know, it's just like, I just come back to always the planet's on fire. We have the technologies to solve it. Like, let's do it. I think that's always, so my, what I always worry about is again, not to say we need innovation, we need more stuff for sure, but it's just like, wow, we just need to move fast with what we've got. Yep. Yep. Okay. So I think I think we've got one one final section here. This is another sort of like just fun game one. We call okay. this uh, we call this big shouts. And so the way this works is if there's anyone you want to you know call out for doing really cool work or any group, whether it's a business, a academic thing, a regulator, or it could be like totally unrelated to energy that you feel just sort of kind of signifies like going in the right direction and something you think is cool. This is your chance to call them out, but it specifically has to be done big shouts to blank. That's the, that's the form it takes. Big and shouts to Ford for the F-150 Lightning. That was Thank unexpected. you very much. Yeah, yeah. So that's my, I'm, I'm, we can all do big shouts. We tend to just rattle them off. That's fun, yeah. <laughs> all right, well, there you go. That is a really big one. Big shouts to Ford for the F-150 Lightning. Big shouts to the Sunrunners I get to work with you guys. Like they are the bomb. Awesome. Like they are, they are dope. Like it's really amazing. <laughs> I get to travel all over, like big shout out to like Costco and Home Depot and these partners we have, big shout out to like all of those that are embracing, you know, a different, a different energy future. Big shout out to Gina McCarthy, actually. I think she's the bomb. I think she's just, you know, I love her straight shooting style. We don't have any time to lose. So we, 
can't waste time, you know, with how we frame things, we got to just go at them. I would say big shout out to Mary McClure, who's at Green Mountain Power, my uh, successor for like, again, like with all I said about, I got exhausted, there was only so much we could do. Like, we need, we need leaders doing that. Like we need leaders that are willing to lead, you know, and uh, yeah, I would just say big shout out to like the auto industry for finally waking up that Americans <laughs> want. He's like, yay, like go. There's some really cool stuff happening. Um, those are the ones that come I'll, to I'll mind. give you one more too. Big shouts okay. to, what was the quote at the beginning? Ru- Russell, what was his name? Oh, big shouts to um, the consumers Rand, that are adopting Randy, the yes. consumer Randy letter. Jones. Randy Jones. Big, big shouts shout then. shout out to customers and consumers. Yep, 100%. Yep. <laughs> Thanks, Mary, for your great takes on the industry. And we look forward to seeing what's next at Sunrun. Make sure you are all subscribed to our Substack at dertaskforcenews.substack.com. Don't forget to get your tickets for Dirtfest at dertaskforce.com. Lastly, be sure to stop by one of our monthly happy hours at the Urban Energy Office in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Talk and tweet with you all soon.